Gosh, it does my heart good to be with you all, to hear you singing. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm the executive pastor here at Pulpit Rock. I'm so glad you're here. If you missed it last week, we started a series in one of the most iconic stories in the entire Bible, the Exodus story. And it's one of those stories that is a, maybe a little bit familiar to all of us. There's been a few movies about it. Um, but it also is a story that despite its familiarity, there's so much good stuff and there's so many moments where you can kind of see yourself in the story. And that really is how a lot of the Bible works, that it's these stories of people journeying with God and we get to see kind of the ups and downs of their journey and we can kind of find our own own journey in the midst of that. But I want to remind us what the Bible says. It says that all of our journeys start with the simple truth, that you were created in the image of God and you're deeply loved by God. And that no matter where our journey goes, no matter what ups and downs we experience in life, that was true the day we were born. It's going to be true the day that we die, that we were created in the image of God and we are deeply loved by God. And that is the foundation for our journey. I'm just really glad that you're here with us. Let me catch you up on what you missed last week. First of all, um, we're calling the series The Journey from Slavery to Home, and we found this image. I explained it last week, but I'm not going to explain it this week. Uh, it's just cool. We liked it. I don't really know what it means. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's the image we're using. What we talked about was this idea that all of us have this longing for home. We have this longing for this place that we felt, but maybe we've never actually been to, this place that's safe, this place that's a resting place, it's full of dignity and joy and love and peace, and we can kind of picture it in our hearts, but it doesn't look a lot like the world around us, and it doesn't, we can't quite seem to get there. And what happens is whenever we find a place that could be home, we wind up wrecking it. Because, you know, the truth is we bring ourselves into every home we've ever found. Uh, and there's just something in us that it breaks it and it wrecks it. And that's what the people of God discover in the book of Exodus. That God is going to lead them out of the slavery that they found in the land of Egypt. But then they discover that Egypt is kind of inside of them. That they take it with them. And so this journey is both an external journey for them and it is an internal journey. God gets them out of Egypt, then he gets Egypt out of them. Um, but I think that the journey really begins that moment that we look around, the world around us, we look at something in us and we say, that's no longer home to me. And we have those moments, those painful moments where we realize this is not what I was created for. This is not what I, was, I long for. And, uh, you know, that's the beginning of the journey. I think the question we want to dive into today is what comes next? What comes after that feeling, if you feel that longing? Um, I read this quote recently, and I love it. Uh, it says, there's no changing the future without disturbing the present. That's true on so many levels. And I think this is really, uh, that, that is what comes next when we feel that longing that we are not somehow living in everything we were created to live in. What comes next is disturbing the present, finding the right ways to disturb what is currently happening so that God can lead us into this future home that he has. And what I want to talk about today is just how do we go about disturbing the present in the best ways. So while I was a student like pursuing theological education, uh, one of my favorite classes that I've ever taken in all of my education was a class just simply called How People Change. 
And the idea behind the class was just studying all the ways that we as humans have this capacity to go from one thing to another and to be transformed in just that transformation process. There's a lot of fascinating stuff in it, but one of the things that has stuck with me to this day uh, was this change strategy developed by a Korean-American uh, psychologist named Insu Kim Berg. Uh, she called it solution-focused brief intensive therapy. So it wasn't the name that stuck with me. Uh, it's kind of a mouthful. But uh, the idea uh, behind this therapy is what stuck with me. And the idea was simple. Instead of trying to fix problems, when you're facing something that you want to change in your life, instead of trying to fix those problems, what you should instead do is try to practice solutions. And her approach was this, that therapists, when they meet with a client, they should do it with the belief that the client has everything inside of them that they need to change their own life. They have all the resources that they need. They just need to discover the seeds of solutions that are already inside of them. Now, you may hear that and think to yourself, well, that sounds like some new age therapeutic nonsense. Um, but let me remind you what we believe about the change process, what the Bible teaches us. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he says this in 2 Peter 1. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That is a stunning statement. Like, I, I don't know about you, I feel a lot of times like, I, well, I probably am missing something that I need. And Peter says, no, no, no. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you have enormous resources to grow and to change and to become the person that God has created you to be. You're not lacking something. And this is why at Pulper Rock, we really try to approach one another with this posture of respect that says, you can hear from God as much as I can hear from God. That God is doing something in your life already that, that is beyond what I could ever talk about or, or whatever, what I could ever touch. That, that he is actually at work inside of you. And we want to respect that and make space for that with each other. And there was something about the way that this therapist talked about solution-focused, brief, intensive therapy that aside from the name, I thought, was really helpful and attuned to something that is in the Bible. So one of the things she did that I thought was really fascinating was uh, in the therapy setting, she would use a, a strategy called scaling. So somebody give me a reason that you might go to therapy. And uh, I'm not suggesting that you all need to go to therapy, um, but I've met some of you. It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> I've run into some of you in the waiting room of my therapist office, so I bet if we put our heads together, we could come up with, a, what, what is the reason someone would go to therapy? Like, to, depression, okay, depression. So emotional issue, depression. Now, listen, by the way, if you ever are on the fence about, like, therapy and whether or not you should go to therapy, talk to me. I know some good therapists. I know good therapists because I go to good therapists. Um, and if you're the sort of person who's like, you know, therapy's for weak and broken people, first of all, yes. Therapy is for weak and broken people, people who are caught up in the illusion of their own strength and self-competence never go to therapy. It's only weak and broken people who can admit that and acknowledge that and seek help that go. And secondly, if you still think therapy is only for weak people, meet me afterwards. We will arm wrestle. Um, and if you beat me, you don't ever have to go. I'll write you a note. You're forever excused. I already beat one person this morning. I'm ready. I can beat you too. Um, What was I talking about? 
so <laughs> therapy, depression. Uh, so a therapist would use, uh, she, she would use scaling questions. So if someone came to her for depression, she would say, well, describe what you would like for yourself. Describe what it would be uh, like to, to just live the life that you wanted to live. And she would have them uh, talk for a while, and she would say, okay, that's a, that is the ideal. So we're going to put that on a scale of 1 to 10. We're going to describe that ideal for your life as a 10. Now, where would you say you are today? And most people who go to the therapist's office are there because they want to work on something. In this case, they're working on depression. So they might say, well, I'm just like, I'm a 2. It's not as bad as it could be, but I'm so far from where I want to be. Um, and then here's the key. The scaling part of this is she would focus her clients not on the distance from 2 to 10 and not on how to close that gap from, uh, from where they were to the ideal that they longed for, but she would focus her clients on the distance from 2 to 3. Because you can't actually go from 2 to 10. You can only go from 2 to 3 and then 3 to 4 and so on and so forth. And that's how it works. And what's so useful about that, what's so uh, like earth-shattering to us about that, is I think we all as humans, we're wired the same way. And when we see that thing that we long for and we see the distance that we are from it, there is something about that that is paralyzing and that is overwhelming. And sometimes it's helpful to just have someone unlock, hey, well, what's the next step? What's the next right thing? You know, when we talk about this journey from slavery to home, like it's worth noting that that is like a two to 10 sort of journey, right? But even God, all powerful God, doesn't ask people to take a step that big. A lot of times it is just that two to three step. That is the story of Exodus. It is a story full of lots of little steps from slavery to home. And sometimes those steps, as we'll read today, they're so small, like they, they seem almost insignificant. But those small steps paired with the God of Exodus start this epic journey of rescue in redemption. Let me show you what I mean. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 1. We ended at Exodus 1 verse 14 last week. I'm going to pick up verse 15 right where we left off. Where we ended, the Israelites, they're enslaved. They're beginning to be oppressed by the Egyptians and it's starting to escalate and it escalates even more today. Look at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now, we could look at that and we could frame this a lot of ways. We could frame this as like this heroic act of civil disobedience. But I actually don't think that's how this reads. I mean, they had reverence for God, they were afraid, they were in this horrible situation, and they didn't want to kill babies. Of course, like anyone with any decency, that's what they would do. And so, uh, as people with a conscience and with a heart, they just are like, right, we can't do that. So they don't. Look at verse 18. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Oh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive, um, which I love that answer. 
It's so funny to me. It makes me laugh on two levels. So they're lying to, to Pharaoh, right? But uh, they're also insulting all Egyptian women. Which I don't know if that was on purpose, but they do. They do. And the other thing that I love about this uh, is Pharaoh doesn't ask any questions. He's like, oh, okay. You know, uh, <laughs> like every guy, you could tell us anything about the birth process and we'd be like, oh, okay, I guess that's how it goes. I, I don't want to know, you know. Um. <laughs> so he doesn't ask any questions. Verse 20, uh, so God was kind to the midwives. He sees this small act they did. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all, the, all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So again, this slavery, this oppression, it's escalating. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So again, this is not like some heroic act. She's not trying to liberate her people this is an act of desperation, really. Right? This is a mom in a horrific situation doing the best she could do. But God sees those small actions, and look at what happens. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, even Pharaoh's daughter, I mean, she's doing something kind here, but it, it's not a heroic act. She's just taking pity on a baby, right, who was abandoned. Really, the only thing in this whole story that's heroic is Moses' sister, Moses' big sister. Uh, I, you know, you don't have to know a lot about Egyptian society to know this was probably a big deal for her to uh, interrupt Pharaoh's daughter and say, hey, I know a lady. Um, and what I love to think about is the scene where she goes home um, and to her mom and she's like, hey, I got you a job today. You know that baby we just had to abandon? Pharaoh's daughter's going to pay you to raise your son. Uh, it's an amazing moment. Now, uh, this, this is pretty cool, uh, but I, I feel like we have to stop here. Because we all know where this story is going. And our, our temptation, I think, or my temptation at least, I do this with a, whenever I read the Bible, is I want to get to the good part. I want to get to the part where like the, there's locust and the Red Sea is parting and it's awesome. This part seems kind of small. I think if we rush past it though, we run this risk of misunderstanding how God works on the earth. How God works through people. And I love just pausing here and just asking this question at this moment. How does the God of Exodus rescue and redeem? Well, he starts small. He starts really small. He starts with small courage and desperation and the pity. 
of these five women, four of whom had no real power in life. And I love that that's the place that he starts. They don't do anything that would be considered miraculous or heroic. None of these women set out to rescue a nation. None of these women uh, knew anything about what God was planning. They just were doing what common decency and love would require in the moment. But God used those small choices as these seeds that eventually grew to overthrow the most powerful nation on the planet. And I need to pause there just to hear that, that these small acts make a difference. You know, I think if God would have gone to the mother of Moses and said, hey, could you raise up a leader that's going to liberate my people? Um, that would have been like that two to a ten sort of request, right? That's like over one. Where do you even start? That's not the question that he asked. He just asked her basically, hey, could you just try to save your child? Could you just do the one thing that you know to do, which is to hide this baby, what any good mom would do? And that's just like a two to a three. She's taken that small step. But that small step in God's hands sparks the exodus. Now, there's a lot of really cool moments in this story, and we're going to get to them. Uh, But I, I think what we have to understand first is that in all of those big moments, in all of those moments where something incredible happens, we have to understand that they are the result of small acts of love and obedience. And that that is where it starts. And most of the time, the people who do those things, like even the big moments that that start with these small little actions, they're unsure, they're insecure about it. They're like Moses' mother. I don't know if this is the right thing. I'm just gonna put him in the river, see what happens. Um, They're just doing the next right thing. But that is how God works on this earth. And we have to realize that, that God, the God who rescues and redeems, it's never contingent upon our heroic action, but it is contingent on these small acts of courage and faithfulness that disrupt the present. And then in God's hands, he uses that to lead us to this earth-shaking future. When God leads us on this journey from slavery to home, it is a journey from two to three not two to 10. That's, that's where he starts. That's how it works. And whether we're talking about that on the external level of fighting the oppression that's in this world or on the internal level of dealing with the sin that's inside of us. So here's the question I have for us today. I think this is a way that we can honor these women and just honor what they did is by asking and meditating on this. What is the small step that God is calling you to take? What is that small step that God is asking you to take, that just that one step forward? God is asking zero people in this room to cover the distance from two to 10, right? That is not our job. He's not asking any of us to do the miraculous. He is asking every single one of us to cover the distance from two to three and to just take that small step towards the home that he has created for us. And when we see that huge gap between where we're at and, and you know, where we want to be or where we're at and where God wants us to be, and we long for that home we were created for and we feel overwhelmed by that, what we need to do is what he does. We need to think small. You know, the God of Exodus is a God who uses midwives and baskets and big sisters And that those things were the seeds of the Exodus journey. And for us, this thinking small means instead of being paralyzed by the distance, 
We need to focus on the manageable next right thing. What small act of love, decency, and compassion is God calling you to today? Now, remember, we're looking at this uh, on two levels. For, we're looking at it on the external level and also on the internal level. The external level just means that we recognize that there is enormous oppression in our world and that we worship the God of Exodus. And that it's a God who cares about the fact that there is more slavery on the planet right now than there was in biblical times. That he cares about the oppression uh, that where people are exploited and controlled or, or they experience systems of poverty and abuse. And God hasn't changed. He is the same God as the God of the Exodus who literally and actually rescues people from oppression. The same God who, when he came as Jesus Christ, said, announced to the whole world why he was here. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That Jesus lives in us. That's what Peter tells us. Uh, He says that Jesus has put his spirit inside of you and given you everything that you need to step into this life and to partner with the God who cares about rescuing those who experience oppression. And that has been true from the beginning of time up uh, up until now. And so we look to partner with him. But I know that's not easy, right? It's not easy to see what's happening in the world around us. It's overwhelming I don't know about you, but sometimes just like the bigness of the problems in our world, it's overwhelming in a way that paralyzes me. I experienced this uh, some with our partnership with the Exodus Road, talked about it some last week. Uh, The Exodus Road is a partner we have that uh, works to rescue people from human trafficking. Uh, We got to see it firsthand and travel with them into brothels. Um, One of the places we were at uh, was a place called Walking Street in a city called Pattaya in Thailand. Uh, this is our generation's pastor, Susie uh, Bates, uh, standing in Walking Street. And it's interesting, when you go down that street and actually go into one of these places, um, it's an overwhelming experience. And, you know, like you see 40 to 50 girls, like young girls that are for sale. And um, you know, that's bad enough, but you can see it in this picture. That's one place on a street with dozens of these places. And that, that's in a city where there's like half a dozen red light districts like this. It's in a country that has dozens of cities like this. You know, of course we know that that is in a world where there are an enormous amount of countries who have failed to address the underlying issues that allow the poor and the vulnerable to be exploited in this way. You know, even in our country, like we do, we, we want to do the right thing, we do the right thing, but there still is way too much of the wrong thing. And that's just with one issue, with human trafficking. I mean, there, there are half a dozen issues that we would just say are kingdoms of oppression that exist on this earth. And we serve a God who wants to set the oppressed free. And sometimes you can kind of get a feel for it just looking at that image. Like you stand in the darkness sometimes, and when you see it for what it is, Like, it feels like it would be easier to part the Red Sea again than to really make a dent on some of these oppressive kingdoms. I think in this passage, though, and in these women, in their lives, we see the secret. How does God overthrow insurmountable kingdoms? 
Well, he starts small. That's what the Bible teaches us. He starts small. Maybe I, I would say it this way. Here's another way to say it. When we are overwhelmed with the problems of the world, we need to step into them by doing for one person what we wish we could do for everyone. Just do for one person what we wish we could do for every person. That's what people who partner with God do. And honestly, that's what these women did. I'm going to save the life of this baby today. I'm going to rescue this Hebrew kid in a basket today. It was just that one person, but it sparked the exodus. I think every great work of God on earth, it begins with the small acts of faithfulness of a few people. I, 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 know, I know this church. I, I was joking about y'all needing therapy. I, like, this is true. I know you people. I know when you look at the world, God stirs something in your heart to do something about it. Let me just encourage you. Don't be paralyzed by the bigness of the problem. Um, God has always tackled big problems, but he always does it the same way. What is that small thing that he's asked us to press into? That's where we start. What does God put in your heart to do for every person? Do that for one person. And I love what we're learning from some of our partners. Um, the Exodus Road certainly is one of them. That started by just a, a couple of people saying, we want to try to rescue this one girl. And now a few years later, they're closing in on a thousand people that they've been involved in rescuing. Or like uh, our partner in Ethiopia, this, this little church, they had 10 kids that had lost parents. And they said, well, we could do something for these 10 kids. And now they've, they've planted a church that's doing the same thing. They've started a school. They're, they're helping 33 kids stay in families so they don't wind up in orphanages. But it just started with something really small. Or think about what we do with Care Portal here locally. Care Portal, basically the principle is this. Could we help one family? And, you, you know, it's the answer to the question, could, could we get that kid a bed so he doesn't have to enter the foster care system? But that one family at a time sort of thing, it is overturning and changing some things about the foster care system here in Colorado Springs. Hey, I, I could keep going. I, I, I know you understand what I'm saying. All God ever asks us to do is take that next step in the problem to go from that two to a three like these women did. And as we take those small steps over time, God does something through it, something extraordinary. That is how we partner with God to set the oppressed free, that he still cares about that. We don't solve those problems. We take small steps. And over time, God overturns kingdoms of oppression. That's got to be our approach on the external level. But remember, we're not just thinking about this for stuff out there. Certainly, it applies to that. We're also thinking about it for stuff in here. And we realize those kingdoms of oppression, they don't just live outside in the world, but they also live inside of us. We carry slavery in our hearts, the slavery to sin or to fallenness or to brokenness. And God wants to lead us out of that so we can find this home where we're walking in trust with him. And the same question, I think, applies what is that small internal step that God is calling you to take today? We got to think about that. Not the distance between where we are and the ideal, but just that next step. What is the thing God's calling us to, to, to take today? And I, we, we all have these areas where we recognize, I, you know, I'm enslaved by something. That might not be the word you use, but it just, it feels like that. I'm caught by something. Maybe it's a behavior or maybe it's like a, a relational pattern or a circumstance and you just realize, gosh, this is not what I was created for. 
I think that same truth applies in those moments. Start small. The difference is instead of doing for someone else, instead of doing for them what we wish we could do for everything, everyone, it's we do something for ourselves. We, we, we do the thing that God has led us to that would reflect the home that he's trying to, to call us to. You know, sometimes those small actions, they seem so insignificant. But as we take them, God uses them to orchestrate the overthrowing of those insurmountable kingdoms in our heart of brokenness and slavery. You know, it could be something as simple as, like, just, hey, I'm going to just try to think differently today. Like, I'm just going to think for today on this thought. What would it look like if I thought of myself as someone who had enormous value to the God of the universe? And today, I'm, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try to do the actions of somebody who had incredible value. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to try to change the way I think. That's incredibly small. Or maybe it's uh, maybe a change in behavior where it's like, hey, I, I can't deal with the struggle that I'm having right now. I can't get it out of my life. I can't resolve it. I can't fix it. But what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do one behavior. And I'm going to sit across from someone I trust, and I'm going to tell them about it. I'm going to just say, hey, I, I've been struggling with something. Is it okay if I just tell you a little bit about what I'm struggling with? And I'm just going to tell them. And it, like that doesn't fix it. It doesn't make the struggle go away. But I'm just going to take that one small step. Or maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it has to do with love and loving people that we don't like and loving our enemy and all the stuff the Bible talks about. And maybe there's someone in your life where you're like, oh, gosh, I hate that person. I just cannot stand them. I wish bad things would happen all the time. But you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just that one small step. I'm going to look them in the eyes and I'm going to say something kind to them that affirms who God created them to be. And that's not loving your enemy and sacrificing for others. It, like it's just a, a kind word. But I'm going to just take that small step and just see what God does with that. And sometimes it feels so insignificant but it is those small things, they don't resolve everything, but those are the things that God begins to use to overthrow insurmountable kingdoms in our life. And I think the reason, I was thinking about this for myself, the reason that a lot of times we don't or we're not content to take those small steps is because, man, does it require enormous humility and patience. Like, like I, I wanna do the step from two to 10, right? I don't want to just do the little step from two to three every day. Like, oh, oh man, I want to, where's the miracle, Lord? And I think sometimes God says, hey, listen, I have something in your life that you're dealing with, and there's not a miracle coming. There's just the faithfulness of walking with me in obedience and doing the thing that I've put before you to do. And sometimes the humility that that requires is, is a little much, and so we just stay stuck. God changes the world through small actions, and he changes our world through the same thing. I'm trying to learn this personally um, in a lot of areas of my life. In my marriage, this is one uh, that I, I'm always trying to learn this. I was doing some work recently with a therapist, um, and I uh, was talking with her and saying, hey, I'm, you know, uh, help me to love my wife better. That was kind of the, the reason I was there. She said this to me. She said, it seems to me, I'm like, oh boy, here it goes. She said, it seems to me like sometimes you are more focused on getting her to love you than you are at loving her well. 
And I thought to myself, what I wanted to say was, well, you don't know me. What are you, I'm paying you for this. I am paying you for this. The least you could do is take my side. Isn't that what I pay you for? That's what I wanted to say. Uh, what I did say was nothing, um, which is always a good move, I found, <laughs> to say nothing. Um, and I'm glad I did say nothing, because then she said this. She said, she asked me a question. That it, it, I can remember it to this day. She said, you may want to decide what has greater priority in your life, getting her to love you well or loving her well? I was like, oh. I didn't want to hear that, but I, I'm glad I was silent because by God's grace, that was a question I needed to hear, right? There's some truth there, and it's never an either-or thing, but I, like, I realized that part of the nature of slavery inside of me is sometimes in relationships I can get really focused on what I need, and that's all I can see sometimes. That's, a, that, that's Egypt in my heart, and so I did something really small, uh, like kind of lame and nerdy, like this is maybe a guy thing to do. I, I pulled out my phone, and I set a reminder to go off every day in my phone, and on a regular basis, every day, actually, I get this reminder. It says, I am in Becky's life for her to love her well, not to get her to love me well, and that pops up every day, and I, I read that, and sometimes I'm like, oh, because it's not really true. I, like, I don't actually do that. If you ever see me with my phone and I go, oh, that's what's happening. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it is, I'm like, yes, I'm walking in that. And uh, that couldn't be a smaller step, right? To just set yourself a reminder. Um, but I'm, I am telling you, after like five months of this, I've noticed a difference, and my marriage is beginning to be a little bit freer, maybe of my slavery to selfishness, and it's not like I'm not a 10, don't hear me wrong, I'm not like killing it all the time, but I have noticed that some of the grip of Egypt on my heart is starting to loosen. It's having an impact on this journey God has for me. I can't tell you what it is for you, I can't just tell you that there is something for you. There is a small step that God is asking each of us to take. What is it for you? I love the quote we started with. Um, there is no changing the future without disturbing the present, and we have to come to terms with that. There's something about right now that has to be disturbed if we're going to step into this future that God has for us. We see this ideal, we see what we long for, and we feel the distance, the, this future of freedom and peace and wholeness, and we see the home we long for, but we also are reminded of where we're at, or we see the way the world should be, but it never really is, and sometimes it seems so far a distance to travel that it just can be paralyzing. But we have to do what these women in Exodus did, just start disturbing the present in small ways. They had the courage to start small, and they disturbed the present, and God stepped into those small actions and led them into this extraordinarily different future. Those small things were the seeds of solutions that overthrew the most powerful nation on the planet at that time. It wasn't just the Red Sea parting and the plagues. It was the faithfulness of these five women. You know, God is calling us all to take a small step. This story, it's your story, it's my story. We don't have to take all the steps. We're not God. God doesn't ask any of us to cover the distance from two to 10 and to step into this ideal world. He, he's not asking that of us. 
God just asks us to take the next right step, that small loving step to cover the distance from two to three. And the question for us is, what is that step? Let's pray. God, we are super thankful that it's not all on us. Um, But we also are frustrated sometimes that we can't just fix it all. God, I pray just first that you would give us the insight to know what are those small things. God, that's a question that I believe that you have put the Holy Spirit in us to know and to be able to answer that. And so I just pray that today, that this week, that there would be some moments where there is clarity. God, I see that you're leading me to this thing. But God, I also pray with that clarity that there would be humility and patience to just travel those small distances, trusting that eventually you'll see it and that we will gain on that ideal that you have for us. So God, give us clarity, but give us humility and patience. Thank you that you have put your spirit in us. Help us to listen to it. Amen.